oh my Put me in coach, I'm ready to play fantasy I know I turned two in a day, but the laces ain't hot in my veins I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today And smash play, I'm prepared to listen The x fippin' whip got me looking way past the pitches Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first He can say I'm ready to go <laughs> I ain't tryna steal second or third Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two, what they do? Hey everybody, welcome back to the Turn 2 Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Williams. You can find me on Twitter at M-A-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-M-S. And today I'm joined by a very special guest. He needs no introduction, although maybe he does because you may just know him as the entity of Pitcher List, but his name is actually Nick Pollock, the man behind, the, 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 the man, the myth, the legend, the guy behind Pitcher List, at Pitcher List on Twitter. Nick, thanks for joining me. The, the guru, well, under the guru, there's a lot of starting pitcher guys out there, but you know, you make the list. No, you you put people on the list, so I mean you're you're the you're the SP guy. What is happening? I uh, thank you for that introduction, but I am I'm amazed and blown away by that song. Like that was you know sometimes you have songs that like kind of fit or whatever. That was made for you specifically, yes. and I'm very impressed that they know the difference between a splitter and a curve. And I know that sounds facetious, but it's not because a lot of people don't know baseball. I have no idea what the difference between a splitter and a curve is, and they know. And that means they know business. So that, that's a that's a good thing. I mean, that was that was really a dope opening. I gotta say, that was cool. I like it. I mean, as far as podcast openings go, it's a bit long. But every time people are like, "You need to shorten it up," and I listen to, it, I'm like, "Nope, can't do it. Can't shorten it up. It was made right. for me. I'm playing it. Um, right. You know, it's it's here, and I'm taking it with me. It's like that comfy old chair. I like it, and I'm I'm bringing it everywhere <laughs> with me." You can't even get it inside the door. You'll take out the door hinge just for that chair, right? Yeah, yeah. We don't need a new chair. We need a new door. There it is. French, French doors. Um, <laughs> so we're going to be talking all about starting pitching. Spoiler alert, everybody. Yes. Uh, and we're, we're going to bounce past the uh, the obvious names that everyone talks about at the beginning. Not that they're unimportant. They're incredibly important. But you, you don't really win or lose a league based on the pitchers you take in the beginning. Injuries happen. They can happen to everybody. We're going to talk about the pitchers a little towards the back of the draft, mainly the ones that like maybe could become a top 100 pick could become mm. like a top 20, 25 starting pitcher. The, the people that have the skills, there's there's reasons certain pitchers are taken at the top, and it's usually because they're very good and they can dominate other pitcher or other hitters. They should be able to dominate other pitchers, but they don't have to do that now. Designated hitter. Uh, but uh, there's some things that hold people back. Injury concerns, uh, limited innings. There's all sorts of reasons, but we're talking mostly from a skill standpoint standpoint today. So me and Nick, we're going to go through a process, our process of how we think that you should go about identifying these like discount aces later in drafts where you can find the, the value in if you want to pound, you know, pound hitters early in a fantasy draft and get all those at bats taken care of where you can go in and what you should look for. So uh, before we kind of get into to anything I'm going to say, what, what do you do you have anything to kind of tell the audience and just in general on how you like to attack pitchers in a draft because um, I mean, I kind of know the answer because I follow you, but for anyone who doesn't know, like how do you, the starting, you know, someone who's very strong in analyzing starting pitching, how do you like to 
go after pitchers in a fantasy draft? Do you like to grab some early studs? Do you, do you just like to wait and rely on your own acumen? Sure. I so th- I think the phrase that I try to be down as much as I can um, is that it's not a best ball league. Um, and a lot of times we treat it like we do because we draft our team and then you get fancy pros to say, all right, you are second in the league in pitching and you are fifth in hitting and all that. And all that's doing is taking your entire roster and then going to the season long projections and comparing it with everybody else. And that's worthless. Because anyone that drafts a team in a redraft and a standard 12-teamer knows that half of your team isn't the same at the end of the year. And we have to draft with that mentality. So my best strength, if I if it wasn't, I'd be a fraud, is finding starting pitching in season. So I personally um, say, okay, I don't want to deal with hitting then. I want to get all of my hitters that I can get and then lean on finding uh, better pitchers later on in the draft. It doesn't mean I'm not taking a start of the first seven rounds. I always want to do that, but I couldn't do that this year. So I'm probably finding myself going for one or two or so. Um, I try to find myself <laughs> you, with... You guys had a... Yeah. Sorry, not to interrupt you. Just piggyback what you just said. There was an article. You didn't write it. Um, it was on PitcherList, though. You had promoted it. And the, the headline was like something along the lines of, you don't have to take a pitcher in the first 15 rounds. And everyone kind of took it as you saying that you were so confident that you were not even taking a pitcher in the first 15 rounds. But yeah, you, know, no. you don't have to take a pitcher every single t- every, a pitcher in every single one. Right. No, that that was a great Matt Goodwin article. Uh, yeah, and uh, he what he did, it was a really good one. He was just saying, look, like you don't have to take one every 15, you know, every single round. But if you are considering one in each round, this is my favorite one in each round. It's yes. a really good article. Um, and just, uh, the way that it got misconstrued, yeah. I thought no. I was like, wow, they are so confident in pitching. They're telling you, don't even take one of the first 15. We got you covered late. Not even me <laughs> would do that. Now I am so tempted to do one league somewhere where I don't, I get my entire offense before I draft a single pitcher and see how much I can rely on that. But in essence, I mean, uh, my thought process this year is usually be, used to be four pitchers, um, in the first like 10 rounds or so, or you want four pitchers you could trust the entire year. Sometimes I can go into like the 12th and get that. This year, I've been seeing pitching, pitching it pushed up a lot more than usual, which means the guys in the 20s and 30s that I normally could wait past 100 are going around 80 or so, um, which means that I'm only getting around three of those um, that I normally would get. But I'm not someone getting two starters in the first four or five rounds. Absolutely not. Maybe one of them. You know, I've been seeing Zach Wheeler in the third and Alcantara in the fourth. And those are guys that I feel can produce at a second round level or higher. And I'm okay with that considering also the hitting falls off a little, but for the most part, I'm all about finding the fun stuff in the middle of the fifties and the sixties of my ranks and uh, jumping on those and then adapting in season. So all my rankings are about look, take chances, make mistakes, get messy, miss frizzle method, and then adapting in season um, as you can find so much talent on the wire. I agree. And this, 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 conversation is very different if you have a waiver wire or you don't if you are in a draft and hold league you, you do totally to try to find some innings yes <laughs> making sure you have pitchers that will just pitch is is such a big thing i mean it, you look at a draft board for a draft and hold you look pitchers very late you're like why was he drafted because he's gonna throw at a certain yeah. point just having someone that'll literally be um be, with the ability to go out to the mound and throw the ball to the catcher is is uh, immense but for the most part most people in a waiver league. So that's that's how we're going to kind of string along this conversation. I, I do my weekly column by the numbers. This week, I kind of dug in on this because I knew we were going to be talking about it. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll do some research here. We can use it on the show. 
I just went through some basic stat parameters. This doesn't have to do with scouting or mechanics. This is purely numbers Mm -hmm. as if I didn't watch a game. Um, I just went through the things that I believe should be kind of the most important things I would look for, for a pitcher for what they did last year and what they're going for. And it basically came down to mostly plate discipline things. Uh, I'll, you know, anyone listens to the show, you know, these, but I'll go over them in case there's a new listener. O swing, which is basically like a chase rate. It is, it's a percentage of pitches that a, a pitcher generates outside of the strike zone swings. And, you know, for batters, you want this to be low for pitchers. You want this to be high. So what I did was went through and just found anyone who just had a league average rate that was higher than the league average. The league average was 31.3%. I went through everyone who qualified at a certain threshold and boom, anyone who was uh, at or above that stayed on the list. Then I went to Z contact for anyone. That's just the contact that the pitcher generates um, inside of the zone. For a hitter, you want this to be very high. You want to make high contact in the zone for pitcher. You obviously want this to be lower. The league average was 84.6%. Added that to the uh, the threshold also, and then further limited down the list. Anyone with an 84.6 or lower could stick around. Anyone else get lost. And then I went to swinging strike rate, which you know has a pretty ties in pretty well with with Z contact, which in terms of your swinging strike is usually you know, is, is a pitcher swinging out within the strike zone, but I still, the 11, the league average is 11.2. Why not? We added it to the list. Um, and then the last thing was I just limited it to K minus walk percentage. The league average for there is usually a little tick above 14%, but for our purposes, I limited it to 16% or higher because it kind of filters out, uh, just, a, a, a pretty much a lot of pitchers. So yeah, we do it, that. Like we have league averages on the site now, um, for our table. So good, by the we- way. So oh no! It changes everything. Um, yeah. And what we did to calculate that is we took the top 200 starting pitchers and batters faced because for fantasy purposes, a guy who throws five innings or you know comes up for three starts that is not actually relevant in any way should not be weighted the same way as say Scherzer or or something along those lines. Yeah. And we also felt like we couldn't just do it with grouping of innings either. So right, so the league average is a little bit higher for a lot of these stats based on the higher ability. Because it is taking the top 200 uh, batters face as opposed to everybody. So, yeah, I think that was the right thing to do to say 14% is truly the league average. But for our purposes, it's closer to 16% or so. By the way, I love that you added league averages. It's so important for everything, especially where there's so much data out there. I just had Insane. on. Yeah, I just I just did an entire show about analytics with Ron Chandler. We both agreed that like there's so much information out there. And the most important thing that I think we can do is give context to everything we do. And league mm-hmm. average is one of the best contexts you can possibly give. So it's yeah, I'm learning. I'm learning on my own site. I'm like, oh, cool. We have this then. Now I understand what a good strike rate is for a slider. I didn't actually yeah. really know before. I had a guess, but I didn't really know. Now hey, if you, if you explain a stat, give a number and try to explain it to someone, you can spend five minutes trying to explain it. But instead, if you gave them just the stat, the league average, and then like what a good pitcher does with it, Three numbers, they'll understand it better than they ever yep. could have with you explaining it. Absolutely. So uh, doing all those metrics again with the O swing, which is essentially a chase rate, in zone contact and swing strike rate, K minus walk. That just spit out everyone who met all those criteria. It spit out 37 names, which is not a lot, uh, but it was still you know a recent amount. I'm not going to name all 37 here, uh, but most of it are names you're very familiar with. Uh, I think I even noted that 24 of the 37 were top five, top 150 picks. There's a few guys that sneak in here. Uh, perennial underachiever, Andrew Heaney. Uh, 
always pops up on these lists, no matter what. Ah, it's not the list. Uh, bounce back candidate Chris Paddock uh, metrically performed not too poorly last year um, in terms of these metrics. And then uh, Jose Urquidy on the Astros. I point these three out because we're not going over 37 names. I'm about to narrow it down even further. But these three were on the list and are now not about to be. But do you have any thoughts here, Nick? Because Andrew Heaney is always a name. I always like was on the hill with him. And now that he's in like a great spot, or theoretically, I'm kind of like completely, it's just finally one straw too many. Um, I'm just off of it. But Heaney, he's literally on these lists every single year. If you try to break down elite stat parameters. It's it's pretty funny that you're saying, oh, he's on the list, yet he's not on my list. I, I put out my top 100 <laughs> Um, just oh, no, uh, again on Monday. That's why I said this is a blind list. No, like, oh, oh right. No, absolutely. There's important reasons why he's not on this list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I uh, so Andrew Heaney is just not somebody that I think we can trust for multiple reasons. One, how are the Dodgers going to use him in the first place? Um, do you actually see a scenario where the Dodgers say, "Yeah, you know what? Here you go. Here's six innings, Andrew Heaney." Absolutely not. Um, I think he's going to be limited to four innings or so when he does start, he might get even opened for, it could be long relief a lot, um, because it's just too risky with him. He, the man allows a ton of home runs. His command is all over the place. And I think what this does well is showcase, oh, when things work out, uh, in his favor, they can be really good, right? It showcases the ceiling a lot when you take a lot of these numbers, but what it doesn't show, um, which is the part that's hardest to quantify really is you know hard contact rates um what happens i uh, you know where does he locate these pitches how badly is he hit how what is the damage like and andrew heaney we all know is just homer machine and unless something dramatically changes either he finds the command of that change up in curveball to really keep guys more off balance and off of that sinker or maybe there's something new that he adds or maybe there's new velocity or just something to really suggest otherwise there's no reason for me to go after andrew heaney yeah, and I couldn't agree more. A lot of people love to, again, it's a wasted exercise. But the who's this year's who's this year's Robbie Ray? And everyone wants no, to no. Heaney. Robbie Not Ray is never injury prone. He, in, in fact, uh, besides the Cy Young year, he actually kind of proven he could do this before in a full mm. season. We pretty much did it before. So yeah, it's a, definitely not an apples to apples situation. No. If you want the real Robbie Ray, and honestly, that fits this fits it the most to me, um, was Patrick Corbin. Uh, because it was someone who had been good before then just completely lost it, but we'll get like the full innings, all that kind of stuff. But the problem with him is not the same one as Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray's fix was, oh, my stuff is so good. I'm just going to throw it in the zone now. He was a nibbler with his fastball. And now you just see the glove in the middle of the plate and he just naturally goes to the upper third with fastballs. And it's really good. And that's that. I Patrick Corbin, his fault actually, he needs to throw fewer strikes with his fastball, at least more less in the zone, as I should say, while still trying to figure out how to get the same amount of strikes overall. I that's it's a weird thing. You can actually see the zone rates on his fastball go up to like 55% in these past two years, 55, maybe I think 57. When he was really good in 2018, 2019, it was sub 50%, which is so strange. You don't see that often, but I think it's essentially the balance and the flow of an at bat. Uh, is more important for Patrick Corbin to keep guys cheating on heaters all the time. Yeah. And we'll see what happens because he had higher velocity. Like maybe he can throw it off the plate and have higher velocity. I don't know. I'm not going to draft Patrick Corbin. I'm just <laughs> so curious uh, how that fastball looks when the season starts.
Like next year, Robbie Ray. Yeah. Are you drafting him? No. No. <laughs> well, you shouldn't have drafted Robbie Ray last year, honestly. Yeah. I mean, well, until right. we saw it change. I, yeah. I did draft Robbie Ray, but I'm not going to take credit for thinking this was going to happen. I thought, all right, he's going to strike out people. Sure. Um, that, you know, that w- I took him believing that. Um, but yeah, it was all gravy after, after that as well. Um, it's funny. You mentioned hard contact for Andrew Heaney. The reason he's being lopped off immediately to our next list is because of hard contact. But um, just cause we mentioned him, Chris Paddock, he's interesting. Mm. Uh, the sheriff, <laughs> he, he finally, I was excited preseason last year because there was all this stuff where he was against analytics completely. He was against like right. the drive line. He was against like improving through technology and he embraced that. And I thought, Oh, you know, maybe, maybe we got something here. And of course that didn't really occur, but again, he does show up on this list as someone who does uh, gets, you know, does get people to chase. He does, you know, limits hard contact or at least limits overall contact in the zone. So there is something here. And, uh, you know, the Padres are going to, you know, could certainly use him with, uh, with, you know, some of the issues that they have. So any, any interest in Chris Paddock? <laughs> so it's funny that you, you talked about hard contact. Um, so we have a stat on the site, which is hard contact percentage. It's all batted balls above 95 miles per hour. And it's over plate appearance, which isn't the hard contact, you know, on Savant, uh, hard hit percentage that's over batted ball. We found that plate appearances is just a better way of gauging this. It makes a lot more sense, too. So the hard contact rate that you want to see, like uh, Freddie Peralta is number one among starters. That's at 17 percent. OK, and generally around 23, 24 is what's normal for a starter, like about average or so. Chris Paddock's last year was 31 percent overall on hard contact rate. So 31 percent of all plate appearances they clicked Chris Paddock had had a batted ball event of 95 miles per hour or harder exit velocity. That's terrible. That ranked 174th among all starters. And the thing for Chris Paddock is what is going to change now? He has to get his fastball back. There's a lot of talk about the spin axis and the spin efficiency of it. I obviously have no idea if it changed now in the spring. I'm not thinking that it did. Uh, There was also talk after 2018 that he needed a third pitch. And Paddock has been searching for that curveball for a while i don't think Even that we last saw year, anything suppo- after yeah. last after the last offseason of spring training he was supposed to bring that in the last year and then like opening day came he's like yeah that, well he threw it 12 percent of the time for a 50 percent strike rate you want to see especially on a curveball something like a 60 percent uh the league average is 58 percent but you want that to be a definitive strike getting offering it wasn't so paddock to me He's the sixth man for the Padres. Nick Martinez, I think, has a streamlined uh, spot ready for him um, in San Diego. They signed him for this. They know that he's going to be capable of it. Um, I have no interest going after Chris Paddock here. I mean, sure, monitor to see how well the fastball performs and what opportunities he has. But he's a prime example of somebody you're not drafting on draft day. You are going to be watching in April, see how everything goes, monitoring his opportunities, see if anything has changed. And then if he does get that chance as the number five and things are looking good, that's when you start paying attention and maybe consider him for your teams. Well said, because uh, so this original list was only play discipline metrics, didn't look into batted ball events, which are a huge deal. We are going to enter at that in now. The list goes from 37 down to 24 when we just add in one more thing. Any pitchers that allow a barrel rate of 8% or less. 
If you have above that, we do not want you. And obviously that is Heaney's problem. That is Paddock's problem. And Jose Arquiti couldn't quite get there either. Uh, so this brings down the list too. So now anyway, what you remain is someone who gets chases out of the zone, limits contact within the zone, um, gets whiffs, uh, has a night, doesn't walk many people compared to the amount that he strikes out and limits hard contact. That's this, what's left. This is so, so painful, Matt. What I'm seeing, I'm seeing Kenta Maeda there. And well, I, I, I miss him so much. He could come back by the end of the yeah. year. I understand. I just, I, I just miss him. That's all. Um, Domingo Herman is a very interesting one there. I, uh, he's well, not going to get list, the opportunity. I'll, I'll, I'll the li- I'll, yeah. You know, I could, I could put it on the screen for everyone listening, uh, <laughs> but for, for everyone watching, but obviously, uh, for everyone that is uh, listening to the show, you, you will not be able to see this. So I will go over it. Um, so yeah, 24 names are left here. Um, if I can open this up. The, um, you know, Domingo Herman obviously is out of the rotation. Currently, he did have a setback. I believe it was a shoulder thing um, where he's not even ready to go to be that number five. And I do believe the Yankees were going to lean on Nestor Cortez Jr. anyway um, for that first opportunity, which might not even be the first turn of the rotation. They do have that day off. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but Domingo Herman is someone, if he, like Paddock, if he gets the chances, I would be looking at it. Uh, Herman throws a fastball changeup and curveball. Curveball has been very good in the past uh, to help him out. It could be good. It's just not something you want to draft right away. I'd say the most interesting name that I've been giving a lot of thought to, and maybe you can guess before it, it before I say it here, is well, Alex uh, Cobb. Uh, well, I'm sorry. Oh, we know cops here. I, yeah. I tried sharing this to the screen and uh, it was way too freaking small. <laughs> so it's only 24 names. Um, 18 of the 24 are being drafted in the top of 50, which only left six outliers. I'm going to name the 24 real quick just mm-hmm. so the audience can know what they are. Right. We'll just, we're only going to focus on the outliers for the rest of the show. Uh, Max Scherzer, uh, Sean Manaya, Domingo Herman. We already brought up Pablo Lopez, Jordan Montgomery. We'll talk about him. Louis Garcia. Aaron Nola, Kevin Gaussman, Clayton Kershaw, Eduardo Rodriguez barely sweeps sweeps into the top 150, but we know a lot about him. We don't have to talk about him much. Lucas Giolito, Jacob DeGrom, Carlos Rodon, Nathan Eovaldi, Kenta Maeda, who's obviously out injured, sadly, Sandy Alcantara, Patrick Sandoval. We'll talk about him. Brandon Woodruff, Lance Lynn, Alex Wood, um, Trevor Rogers, Zach Wheeler, Alex Cobb, who Nick just alluded to, and Corbin Burns. So those names we're going to be talking about right now who sneak into this basically list of like proven aces. Uh, let's talk about Alex Cobb, Alex Wood, Patrick Sandoval, uh, Jordan Montgomery, uh, because I think those are definitely the names that stick out that um, it's, if anyone's really into fantasy baseball, their names that you don't, you know, aren't, aren't a surprise to you, but it may be a surprise that they, they show up on a list like this because they're only surrounded by like just all-stars. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, uh- Alex Cobb's very interesting to me for multiple reasons. Uh, he went away from a four-seamer that I think Savant was kind of listing wrong uh, to a sinker that limited hard contact super, super well. 22% for a sinker is incredible, considering that the league average sinker is a 32%. Uh, that's dramatically better. Uh, and you have that going 40-plus percent of the time now with Brandon Crawford in San Francisco. He's already done a really good job of limiting home runs, and that only gets better with the giant brick wall TM in uh, in San Francisco now. Uh, that's a really nice situation. Then you have the thing, which is Alex Cobb's splitter, constantly above a 20% swing strike rate, so you have a strikeout pitch. And then like Dylan Bundy, um, Patrick Sandoval even, uh, there is this show-me curveball 
that Alex uh, Cobb gets a ton of called strikes with a 25% last year, helped him get a 36% CSW on it and a 62% strike rate. It does get hit hard. And I do wonder if it's 16% usage is a little too high because guys are ready for it a little bit early in counts as he's very extreme throwing it early. It's 85% of all curveballs that Cobb throws are early in counts. Uh, so it might be something that you want to change, might want to tweak a little bit moving forward. Still, it's a really nice repertoire that could fit really well in San Francisco. And I'm thinking about April a lot because a lot of pitchers are going to be depressed in their pitch usage. It doesn't mean a guy like Michael Kopech, who we're not really expecting to see, you know, unleashed until May is actually kind of better because overall pitching is worse in April. But it also means guys like Alex Cobb, who could be just fine from opening day, go up even more in value. So yeah. I'm finding myself targeting Alex Cobb a little bit at the end of drafts as someone to consider for that opening week or two. And if it doesn't quite work out, it doesn't quite work out. But it's it's not that huge of a risk. And, you know, if I don't want to hold on to him after that, that's fine. I need to have a couple empty risk process spots anyway. So I'm really intrigued on this. And uh, I think y'all should be considering Alex Cobb. I, I love Cobb. I love the move to San Francisco. We know that it pretty much saved him going to Anaheim. He had a huge problem giving up homers like golf balls constantly oh, yeah. not the best place for it uh is sinker i mean there's there wasn't like a big difference in terms of like i, I could find maybe you can align this as far as like the way he's grip i couldn't find a a massive difference in um release point it looked like it was a little bit lower but his his uh, both his sinker and his uh splitter seemed to gain about an inch of both vertical and uh, horizontal movement. Uh, and it, it certainly showed up. I mean, strikeout percentage went up from 11.3 to 26.1 on the sinker, 7.8 point gain in chase rate, uh, splitter. And and you said the curveball. He kind of like moved away from it being uh, one of those like sliding curveballs where it had a little bit of horizontal movement. It turned into more of a, I don't want to say 12 to 6, but more of like what most people would consider a curveball um, mm. kind of straight over. And he uses them both to get not just ground balls but like you know and, and sw swings and misses and ground balls so yeah it was it was fantastic the curveball jumped from a 10 percent to a 31.3 percent in the chases outside of the zone which is what you want you want it to look like it's gonna be a strike and then not be um did you know anything with Cobb as far as anything he did mechanically different because the pitchings the pitchers were just better uh but as far as spin i don't see anything different as far as grip i didn't notice anything different yeah Slight slight adjustment in release point it's like yeah nothing, nothing huge on my end i i would say on the uh yeah uh, uh, going from a four seamer to sinker i think savant's just doing that because he did get an extra two inches of drop uh, as you were alluding to um i don't know i i think it's always been a sinker honestly i've been calling it one for years i was really shocked to see that we classified it differently before 2021 but yeah, Cobb Sinker is doing good things uh, and it's going to do good things again, likely in San Francisco in a better environment to do so. It's uh, it's all looking nice for Alex Cobb as long as he can continue to yeah, keep the ball on the ground and prevent those long balls. Let's talk about one of your Yankees real quick. Uh, Patrick. Oh, my Yankees. Oh, no, don't do this. Don't pin me as a full Yankee fan. Everyone knows I'm a pitching fan first. All right. Yes, just so we're yes. clear. <laughs> well, Jordan Montgomery is a, is a good pitcher. Uh, most people think he struggled mightily in 2020. It was it was pretty much a BABIP thing. If you look, I even included a chart in my article. The ERA and BABIP um, pretty much tail each other from year to year. He he metrically he was just as good in 2020 as he was last year. Um, you know, both his uh, his FIP, XFIP were kind of like tailed. Uh, his off speed stuff is great. 
Um, you know, his, his, his breaking ball and his, his changeup are good. His fastballs are just, I don't want to say terrible, maybe no, terrible, they're terrible. They're terrible. But, like he keeps moving. Like he, he, he like abandoned the, the, the sinker up points and, and went up in the four seam and he kind of had tinkered with it throughout the entire year. He was at 10% to start in April with his four seam. He ended the year about 25% sinker. He started at 22% ish. He ended the year around 15. He looks like he's constantly trying to figure out how to work in his fastballs into his arsenal where maybe he needs to go like full sunny gray and just kind of abandon him a little bit altogether. What are your, what are your take on what's the, we seen what he can do. What's it going to take for him to make that next step? Because the fastball or lack of plan to use them properly in his arsenal, it seems to be holding him back. Yeah. Uh, so we have this fun thing where we have like these ranks for everybody, but we also have it for individual pitches too. So just looking right now, like as his sinker and four seamer, it's all blue, which is not good. Uh, and, and and that's like middle of the pack, like 90s or so, which for a starting pitcher is not what you want to see for classifications on your fastball and your sliders or in your sinker. And this is what I see. I see a Cleveland Guardians pitcher in disguise where you have a changeup and a curveball that are amazing. Like these are really, really excellent offerings, um, but he only throws them just under 50 percent of the time. And he's trying to find his strikes elsewhere with sinkers, four seamers and cutters. And even that cutter was bad, too. Yes. Uh, and the four seamer only had a 58% strike rate with just an 8% swing strike rate. And the reason why I'm saying it like that is if you're throwing a fastball a good amount, you're either trying to do two things. One, sneak it in the zone to get strikes, which he's not doing, or B, saving it as a strikeout offering by elevating fastballs and getting swings and misses, which he's not doing. So it's bad. It's really, really bad. Um, what I think could be a solution for Jordan Montgomery is depressing fastball usage overall. And I think he tried to do that with that cutter. It's just not a good pitch. But throw more changeups and curveballs. Throw them in the zone. They're so uh, good. Generally, the, a slider is easier to throw for strikes in the zone um, outside of early fast uh, early curveballs. It's kind of harder to have like a consistent zone pitch for a changeup, for example. And curveballs generally like to live underneath them, but. Even so, changeups and curveballs inside the zone could really work for him and finding something. Maybe it's the sinker that he just leans on to try and steal the edges. Uh, it makes me overall hesitant, though, in Jordan Montgomery. We've seen whips around 130 for him. I don't think this is a season where we see a sub-120 whip for Jordan Montgomery because something really does need to get fixed here. And yes. I don't like relying at this point in the season on something that definitively needs to get fixed without any sign of that changing especially with Jordan Montgomery, who's not, you know, this isn't his first season. We've seen him for a good amount of time and we've realized that he is somewhat consistent at what he does. So I'm one, a little bit thing. out, but I yeah. uh, hopefully, yeah, hopefully the fastballs do get better. The one thing that does um, keep me someone in on Montgomery that I like to see, because you look at pitchers and we love to break down guys. And then you'll be like, if he'll only do this, he'll be good. Like Blake Snell, if you don't, you know, <laughs> if you'd only get rid of his, uh, was his change up? Oh, get rid of that changeup. Yeah, he's, he's, he's taking it out of timeout again. I'm like, no. Yeah. Leave uh, it there. But like you're hoping for it and there's nothing definitive. Jordan Montgomery has, especially last year with the tinkering, he looks like he is open and willing to try to find something with a fastball that sure. works. So at least that does give me a little confidence that, all right, this guy knows the problem. He was even quoted this offseason saying, I have a problem with my fastball. Good. I mean, I'm shocked at how, how many pitchers like, you know, they know. But how many just aren't like honest about it? All right, this sucks. I need to change it. So at least there is that. But yeah, going back to his changeup, 
He throws it in the zone over 50% of the time, everybody. And and it, it gets less than 67, it gets 60%, 67% uh, contact within the zone. That's, that's awesome. And the, the curveball generates 41.2% O swing uh, and uh, held hitters to a 77.2 in zone contact, which is still great. Uh, but yeah, overall, his fastballs are weird. His, yeah. um, his, his cutter sinks more than his sinker. His four seamer cuts more than his cutter. And the sinker barely moves at all. <laughs> so I don't even know what it is. They're, they're not good. Uh, I, yeah. I will say um alex chamberlain really opened my eyes a bit with vaa if you don't know that it's a vertical yeah. approach angle essentially saying like you know where your arm is on release is it super high up is it on the side or whatever affects how you know the plane of which batters are swinging so think of like you know you're swinging as a bat you're you have a slight uppercut and if that is matching the same plane of the delivery of the ball from the mound it's easier to hit there's just more time that this the plane of the bat is going to possibly hit the ball yep. so with a really high one uh, you actually don't want to throw the ball up. It, you actually want to throw it down. And if you have a really low arm angle, you want to throw the ball up. So Jordan Montgomery has a super high release, and I'm seeing a decent amount of approach where he is going high lock, a decent amount. That's high location percentage. So his high lock on four seamers was 70%, which is really high. And I only see a 40% on sinkers. I do wonder if Jordan Montgomery can live the Kershaw method. That is down and in to, to right-handers. And you, I was always taught you don't do that. You don't throw down and into the opposite handedness. That's the danger zone. But Kershaw, think of him right now, super high release point. That's why he gets that big curveball on it. And I wonder if the solution for John Montgomery is going down and into right handers, actually focusing more on that low lock above 40% that we're seeing with the sinkers right now. Get rid of that cutter, get rid of that four seam, or just those sinkers down and in, and then rely on the changeup and curveball to match that as well. No, that's an interesting um, segue into our next pitcher because Patrick Sandoval, uh, he we already everyone already kind of knows about him. Um, he's always had a high swinging strike rate over the last couple of years since 2019. He's been well above the MLB average in swinging strike rate. Uh, and then last year he had that big, big, big game against the Twins on the 24th. He struck out 13 over eight and two thirds innings. Metrically, strikeout rate he looked pretty similar to 2020. So, like you know, what changed in 2021? That's what we want to know. And it pretty much came down to location and arsenal adjustment. He threw his four seamer uh, way less. He threw his change up more, but he did. Um, he did start uh, throwing that uh, that sinker um, to uh, to left handers. And I actually have a I actually have a video of it in the article on how he kind of throws that in uh, to lefties, and it actually has has helped him be a uh, it's been a weapon uh, for him last season. Nothing like as far as. Uh, Nothing as far as something dominant, but he had a 16.5% whiff rate in the zone, which was the sixth best mark in baseball. So he kind of turned this uh, this sinker into a uh, a nice uh, a nice little uh, weapon versus left-handers, which is kind of what you were just talking about with Montgomery. But yeah, yeah, uh, Sandoval, man, I love him and I hate him at the same time. I mean, <laughs> obviously, I have a shirt that's 32 whiffs, and that's after the the six innings. You need six innings to get 32 whiffs, which is insane to me. But I uh, that that's it against the Mariners. It's incredible. I uh, only Garrett Cole matched 32 whiffs in a single start the entire year. How if, dare if you? He would have qualified. Uh, Sandoval qualified. He would have been sixth highest in the league in swinging strike percentage among yeah. Um, pitchers. Yeah, it, it, it's insane. So I uh, so Patrick Sandoval is is fantastic. Has that ability because that changeup earned 17 whiffs alone against the Mariners that night. Um, the question really for me is. 
how is the four seamer command going to be? Uh, he didn't really reduce the overall fastball usage. He just pulled back on four seamers to throw more sinkers instead, um, which was not exceptional. I mean, neither of these two pitches are. No. And if he's able to get enough strikes with these and not get destroyed, the changeup slider curveball are all great. The curveball was an 11% usage last year. And keep in mind, this is under 90 innings for Patrick Sandoval. Yeah. But it's called strike rate was 36% which is stupid good. A 41% CSW would be like one of the best pitches in baseball. Uh, meanwhile, Sandoval's changeup had the highest swing strike rate of any singular pitch in baseball, 29%. When he threw them three out of 10 times, Sandoval earned a swing and a miss, which is crazy. Uh, then you have a slider that is just a really good strike getting a pitch, 66% strike rate. Good amount of swing strikes, good amount in the zone, got called strikes. Limited hard contact, under 20% of it. It's a really good secondary approach. It's just a question of those fastballs. And, of course, that he's an angel, which means that injuries are always going to be a thing. It's, I really hate making that joke for all Angels fans, but that's what that was the deal with Sandoval last year. He had the back That's injury. Fan, I, don't, I don't know what year. you're talking about. That's fan, I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, right. Uh, and Sandoval does say he's 100% healthy now, but there is that question mark. All of that said... I think the ability of those secondaries is good enough that the fastball, the four-seamer and sinker, those are the warts, but they're not nearly as significant, I think, as Jordan Montgomery's. I also think the change-up slider curveball approach from Sandoval is better than Montgomery's too. Um, and what you're going to see is a guy that, yes, he'll have some bad nights where he doesn't get enough out of his secondaries or his fastballs really burn him. But overall, you're going to see a very exciting pitcher through the year. He's going to get a lot of strikeouts. The quality of inning, I think, is going to be worth your time. I just hope you get 150 innings out of it. Yeah, that's the one thing. He has never pitched a, a full year yet. That is that is probably the biggest knock that is holding him back because he's a sleeper. We've seen the uh, the uh, the potential, but he still hasn't really skyrocketed in ADP, and that's mostly the reason. Uh, the thing here is like, I love that he made the change up his number one pitch. It's still pretty tight to the rest of his arsenal, but it's like a simple concept that uh, some pitchers don't do. If you have a great pitch, throw it more. Pablo, yeah. great change up. He threw it more, throw it more. It's a good pitch. I mean, it's crazy. He had like a 38.1% zone rate, still had like a nearly 30% swinging strike rate. Why throw it in the zone? If people are happy and willing it's to so chase. great, 45% chase rate. You ever read that O swing? That's <laughs> yeah. so, so good. And they just always miss. His command of that changeup is absurdly good. Fast, uh, Alex Fast, my uh, my co-host on the On the Corner podcast, put out this amazing um, gif of fastball changeup overlay. Maybe he didn't put it out. Maybe he just made it for me, just to showcase stuff with Patrick Sandoval. But it, it's like perfectly tunneled, um, and it's incredibly deceptive at a huge drop in velocity, too. It's about 9 to 10 uh, velocity gap, which is so good as well. Oh, I could talk about the Irish Panda all day. <laughs> uh, the last guy I, I, I want to bring up for at least mine, we'll talk about a couple others, is, is Alex Wood. Now, you know, resigns with the Giants. He, I can't wrap my head around a projection for him because mm. I like everything. He's lowered his release point pretty significantly over the years to where that has really allowed his off-speed stuff to shine. I mean, you watch him pitch, he coming in, it kind of this weird, like, he's got the loose uniform and his arms coming, coming in at this weird three quarters thing at the very end. And it's, it's very cool. The thing that confuses me is how many compare. I mean, 2017, he was great. Last year was maybe his second best season. So much of it was due to called strikes. 
And I did an uh, I did a um, article on this last year, and I know there's so many variable variables outside of the pitcher's control. You need a catcher who can handle and, and at least framework adequately. You need a somewhat friendly umpire. You need a willing batter to maybe give you a little help. So um, for just I wanted to get your take on this too, because there's obviously a lot to talk about just Woods Arsenal and how he gets it done uh, and earns the right to be good. But uh, what do you do when you have this pitcher who had this kind of I don't know, second breakout, and he had so much of his success tied into called strikes. How do you deal with those as a skill and as a repeatable skill? Because that's what you need if you're counting on Alex Wood this year. You kind of need those you need those called strikes to be there. Absolutely. Yeah, the sinker uh, was thrown about 50% of the time. All of a sudden had that 27% called strike rate. It was 20% in previous years or so. And we saw something actually similar with Adam Wainwright in his sinker. Yes. Um, but we've seen also from Adam Wainwright, also like Zach Gallen comes to mind of having these fastballs with 25% called strike rates that are sticky in some way. And generally that does lean on command. If you're able to spot your fastballs in the right, you know, in the right part of the play or right part of the zone constantly, you'll see guys that are just passive early in counts. Uh, and Wood had that skill last year. I think the bigger question is if Wood is going to keep the velocity jump that he had to 92 miles per hour instead of sitting at 90 or so, 90, 91. Um, and hopefully that slider is just as good. I mean, we saw it in 2020 as a knuckle curve, apparently, but it was really retinkered into that slider. Uh, and it was an effective offering, but it took another leap last year to jump to about a 70% strike rate with a 37% CSW, insanely good 22% swing strike rate along the way. And he threw it 40, less, it's, it's less so than good. half time in the zone. It was like oh. almost an automatic strike whenever he threw it, and he barely threw it in the zone. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it was a really effective offering. I uh, Yeah, 44% zone rate, though, I will say, on a slider is above average. Normally, it's about 42%. Um, o swing from 34% league average on a starting pitcher slider. 44%. I mean, exactly what you're saying. Uh, so many strikes on it. And if you have those two things working, he should be fine. It's not the old changeup that we saw with the Dodgers when he made his all-star game appearance. It's not that pitch anymore. I, I was hoping maybe we'd see it, but no, the, everything dropped on it this past year. There were moments when Alex would have had that changeup, but not so much uh, through the year. But without it, it's fine. Kind of went, it, it kind of went reverse is, slider. The way his slider jumped up, um, at from from its peak, it actually the changeup decreased. Right, almost. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but I will say this is a great example of somebody you should be monitoring in spring training. If you see that Wood is not hitting but sitting ninety two, or at least just like above ninety one. If he's like sitting ninety one, ninety two, great. That that would make me feel a lot more confident about Alex Wood because yeah, there is a situation here where he's a ground ball guy with Brandon Crawford, good infield defense, and the giant brick wall. That will help Alex Wood in San Francisco, also a winning team, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's a good scenario. Once again, just like Patrick Sandoval, well, is the health going to be there? Uh, he only threw about 140 innings last year. That was COVID-related, not as much of uh, actual body injury. But still, he has not had the stamina for a full year in a very long time. I don't think any of us really anticipate him to have that this season. And he doesn't have the same strikeout upside that Patrick Sandoval does. I'm still intrigued. I think this is definitely someone that I'd be comfortable starting early, which means that he should certainly be on your radar, especially if you have someone like Shane Boz or something, or even a Michael Kopech that you need those innings in April and Wood can give you some good ones. Yeah, definitely. And uh, 
Yeah, the thing with Wood is, I mean, I'm looking at this nice video of him throwing that slider to Brian Reynolds, making a really good hitter look bad. I think that has a lot to do with how much better some people, uh, when you look, when you're digging into a pitch and you're trying to find something, it's not necessarily, oh, he added this one good pitch. Now he has another good pitch. It's how it can make the other one so much better. We talked about the called strikes with the sinker. If you're going to have the slider coming in and then drop out of the zone, and then all of a sudden the very next pitch, he throws a sinker in a similar area that does not leave the zone and just comes in a little faster. I mean, it's going to help you get those called strikes. There, it wasn't, it isn't necessarily um, even those variables out of his control. It makes sense why they would go up as well, the way he's trying to attack hitters. So it's something to consider, just not with Wood, but just any pitcher if he makes an arsenal adjustment. It's just kind of good to, all right, what is he trying to do with the other hitter? Um, and how does this pitch being better um, help the rest of the arsenal? Maybe even, you know, weeks, you know, in some cases, uh, make a weak pitch usable. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's always a compounding uh, gain when a pitch improves right uh it masks the other bad pitches if now they need to think about this other one more often so yeah it makes a huge huge difference uh so that that was just going through that uh that big thing i did with just just narrowing down pure analytics what are some things that you look for later in drafts is the as far as like the previous year you haven't gotten really a chance to there's plenty of things we want to look at at spring training as far as velocity health is its own animal but yeah what do you look for when you're trying to tag some guys late um, that that uh, they looked at the, the uh, from last year to this year that you think, all right, this guy's going to make a next jump. What are some things you think the audience should uh, should write oh, down? So so there's no like cookie cutter answer for this <laughs> because if there were, then everybody would do it and uh, no one would be actually be asleep or all that kind of fun stuff. Um, so there, there's multiple things. One is opportunity. Just uh, that's the first most important thing. If a guy doesn't get his chance to actually do something, then what's the point? Um, I will. I'm a Mets fan and everyone's so excited and I want to be. I'm like, well, that's because Taiwan Walker. We don't know if he's actually going to be there. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. That was, but like all off season before Walker, whatever the meeting was. I'm like, I know the Mets, there's going to be an opening, but for like where he's being drafted, I'm like, I hate drafting people where you're, required to have multiple injuries to get an opportunity. So like I couldn't even be on the bandwagon, even though I wanted to be and he'll be in the rotation now, but it's just like, it's just tough. It's it's funny. You mentioned him. Okay. Very quickly on Tyler McGill. What's interesting is let's say Tywin Walker's out for three weeks or something. I don't know. It could even be opening day. Someone in Twitch chat was saying that he might actually be there. And that's the case. And sorry, Tyler, or you're not there. (laughs) Um, But uh, let's say it's three weeks. Who's to say that in three weeks after there isn't another Mets injury that keeps Tyler in there? Oh, right? for sure. And not to mention, I think McGill could easily just like pitch. Right. Well yeah. So, but like, I don't know. Walker, yeah. You need a few extra weeks on the DL. Can yeah. We're going to slow down Carlos Carrasco or <laughs> yeah. something. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, who knows? Uh, so there's that to keep in mind. But yeah, it might be really, really frustrating. I will say it's a nice problem to have of someone with that ability if he's doing well enough. And Tyler is throwing harder all of a sudden. We're talking like yeah. two ticks harder. That's like really change good. up, man. He worked on it last year, introduced it, kept getting better and better. And the uh, the biggest thing when it comes to velocity, um, you know, Rudy Gamble put out a fantastic question being like velocity, vulnerability index. And I, uh, my former colleague, uh, Cameron Grove, um, pitching bot, um, put out a really good thing showcasing the, the, the plateaus and all that stuff, what matters. And really, it, it's confirming of this idea that we've had for a while of, you know, Eno really taught it to me was 91 to 94 mile per hour velocity doesn't really change that much overall on the big scope. 
Um, you know, there's certain guys like I'm talking about with Alex Wood that there is a difference. But when you want to say for the most part, like where the change happens, it's going from 94 and above. That's when we start seeing true impact of velocity gains. So Tyler McGill going from 94 to 96 is a huge, huge deal. Um, I will say his slider and changeup are questionable. When he showed up last year, the first couple starts, I got excited because I thought the changeup was actually really, really good. And then it fell off and it was really frustrating. The slider can be good enough at times, but it is not the dependable stuff. Now, if Tyler McGill is consistently sitting 96, he could turn into a potential. I think that the ceiling comp is a Brandon Woodruff where you have a good fastball at 96 and then you have a slider and a changeup that aren't elite, but they're above average. They're, they're complimentary. They're good enough that batters need to think about those pitches that they can't just go chasing fastballs and you can get strikes with those. I don't know if Tyler McGill is, can do that now, and it might take some time to do that. But if he sustains this velocity, I will be thinking about McGill a ton. So and I'm curious. Said, um, he started eight ball last year. He kind of came out of nowhere, came up out of necessity because there was so many yeah. and he looked great at times. He ran out of gas. He would have, I mean, he would have some great starts and then just like, boom, after the second time through, he was done. Ended the year on a pretty solid note. Uh, but yeah, it's a work in progress. It'll be a big year for him. Um, could go either way, but yeah, I mean, it's exciting to, to see these guys come out of nowhere is always cool. Right. So, okay. So opportunity was the first thing. Got to have these chances. Oh, um, on, one so, thing of velocity. Yeah. I just want to mention, uh, where are you on uh, you say Kikuchi? Because uh, I know um, Rob Silver put out something very similar to what you're just saying about the velocity. 96 with yeah, Kikuchi, 96 right? up yeah. with Cy Young, 95 below, minor leagues. Yeah, uh, so he wasn't there yesterday um, when he when Kikuchi appeared, and yeah, I am. I think that Kikuchi is never going to sit somewhere, um, and I think that even if we see a start at 96, like the next start, it could be 94. That's what I had to deal with last year during the roundup. I'd be getting excited, like, oh man, Kikuchi did the thing. Good luck trying to figure out when it is. But there's is another this, half is of it. Like a, is this like an inconsistency in rest and inconsistency in mechanics? Like, what is this? This is a thing of just, do you feel good or not on a day? This is, you know I this. Know. I mean, you go through life. There's some days you just kind of wake up and you're like, all right, man, this is well, the then, day. You know? No, I agree with that. It's like it's that like, with uh, pitching too. I've seen some things on on some of, some pitchers, and I'm wondering why I haven't seen this yet. I realize that routine is everything to stump part starting pitchers. Mm-hmm. If they're not on it, they are wrecked. Some don't needed as much some would rather have the extra rest and a pitcher like Akuchi has actually done well with extra rest i'm wondering why we have not seen a team try to put in some kind of hybrid six-man rotation when i say that i mean not six man but keep certain guys on five skip right guys no i i was suggesting this with the yankees uh yes. last year um but I, I i'm all for this stuff and i was i think i was actually talking about it um, uh, for the man that I never want to talk about again, but it was the Dodgers and they made this big signing last year and the idea that they could keep that man on a, like a shorter rest, but then everybody else, the other five on a, a different one too. But, uh, with Kikuchi actually was a six man with Seattle for a bit. Um, yeah. and that might've been part of it. That's a really good, interesting point. And maybe we can track to see like how he did with the six day stuff with seattle versus pearson's throwing gas uh, maybe they can work yeah, out it, it could be uh, i mean we've seen we've seen guys fluctuate in velocity a lot in season i remember getting like excited about chris bubich for a moment because he threw 92 one start then he threw 90 the next one i'm like this is the worst thing ever uh but it's with kikuchi my stance is i think command is still a greater issue that's half of it is the velocity but he also needs to be able to command his stuff and i will say the slider and cutter actually looked really good 
with location yesterday. Um, but until he actually executes the proper Blake Snell blueprint, which is four seamers up and then secondary stuff down, I I don't think I can buy into it. And even if I see it, I've been tricked before by uh, by Kikuchi doing it and then not holding on to it. And it's I'm going to be, you know, if, if Kikuchi breaks out, I'm not going to be the one holding it because yeah. I'm not going to be the one that is going to take that shot when he starts doing it. Exactly. And I was, we were on a 100 meter dash to Nick's, uh, uh, tips, uh, for people drafting late pitchers. I, I just stopped them at the one meter line at opportunity. <laughs> so opportunity number one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so let's say you have opportunity, right? Or you have a chance for it. Um, honestly, I think the most important thing that, uh, I mean, there's two sides of the coin, right? There's one of your guys like miles, Michaelis and Dakota Hudson, where it's just, are they like decent enough? Uh, and like, can they get me innings? And like, are they just being fine so that I can look and see the schedule and be like, oh, cool. They get like a weak team early on. I'll take that chance. Right. Um, that's cool. I think I believe the Michaelis gets the Pirates uh, to start. I'm like, I'm all right with that. Maybe, you know, um, with that amazing Colonel's defense. But more so what I'm what I think is the fun of this is watching actual pitchers and what they do and if their stuff is good. So how do we define stuff? We talk about velocity. We want to see 95 up. Right. We want to see that. But how are they using their secondary pitches? Are they throwing it with confidence? That is, they're throwing it for strikes early on when they're behind in counts. Or are they going to a secondary pitch? And what are the results of that? Are they getting those secondary pitches as slider change up curveball? Are they down in the zone constantly? Are they getting up? Even though they've got a whiff, it's not really great if it's in the upper third of the zone. Typically, you want to see that down and away uh, for from from the batter. Right. Things like that. And you see Reed Detmers is the first one that comes to mind right now for me because there is a sixth spot open for the Angels. They've said they want to go six man. They have Shoei Otani in there. And it's between Jaime Berea and Reed Detmers. And if you remember Detmers from last year, you might have been like, oh, he was terrible. He came up and whatever. It wasn't great. Yeah, he was 22 years old. Uh, And he just got thrown into the majors, essentially. He had one really good start where he was throwing curveballs for strikes and then sliders for whiffs. And I watched this other start. He was cruising with this curveball. It looked beautiful, had nice sliders. This was a potential breakout. Like if he gets that six opportunity, then as we joke about with the Angels, uh, they get hurt all the time. Then the security comes with Detmers if he's able to stay healthy with it. And suddenly you have someone that can just be constantly starting for you. Do I think that is going to happen? I don't know. I honestly believe that Berea, who has pitched before, is going or started for the angels before is going to actually ultimately get that six spot considering the young age of Detmers still seeing those breakers and how effective they are is a huge, huge deal. And that's one of the major things that you should be focusing on now is all right, this guy's showing up. Is this stuff actually anything good? The second I see someone with 89 miles per hour, I'm like, I'm done. I'm not even, I don't care what the rest of it is. They they're not going to be so electric that they demand a spot or something like that. So Detmers good example of that. Mitch Keller throwing upper 90s. Command is bad of the breakers. I'm not in on that. I'm curious. This is not someone who's very late. Um, he's going late enough. Mm-hmm. But uh, Logan Gilbert, who is ah, a yes. guy that you're either in or out on. He's someone that looked like he could just stand to trust his off-speed stuff a little more, especially maybe his change-up. Because it's so good if he can just kind of let it fly. Uh, where are you him on this year? Because he's going at a part in the draft where um, he there's plenty of a return on investment to be had if you're taking him where he's going. So. This is he, uh, this is in. so this is hard. This is difficult. 
Um, there are times I need to trust my gut because we're talking about this before. Like, what ifs do you want to do, right? Is it yeah. the if of Jordan Montgomery? Is he going to figure out his fastballs, right? And I have Gilbert and Montgomery kind of in the same-ish tier. I think I have Gilbert and the one above. And that's because my gut says the if for Gilbert is going to work out. And that if is the slider actually becoming a consistent strike offering. Um, it was a 55% uh, strike rate last year. And as his number two, premier number two, I could say his primary secondary pitch. Uh, that can be a 65% strike rate pitch. I think he can take the leap with that. And if he does, Seattle's going to let Logan Gilbert pitch. I really don't think you're going to see the Mariners put the brakes on Gilbert this year. I think he's going to go every fifth day. I think he's going to be a 90 pitch per game guy. And with a really, really good fastball that got hit hard last year, because everything else sucked. <laughs> uh, he, elevated, he didn't really elevate enough. He elevated, but like in the danger zone. <laughs> he didn't oh, go yeah. high yeah, enough. He didn't go quite enough. Exactly yeah. right. But still had a 12% swing strike rate on a 73% strike rate. And he had to do that because his slider wouldn't get strikes. His changeup wouldn't get strikes. His curveball wouldn't get strikes. And I mean this in a big way. 42% strike rate on a curveball? No. No. Uh, 44 on your changeup? Come on, man. We need some help here. So I'm leaning on Gilbert figuring this out. And we actually saw stretches last year when his slider was pristine. Yes. And Gilbert killed it. You know, he went against the Red Sox, struck out nine batters with only 200 runs in six innings. Right. Those days can be there. And I'm betting that with more time and more development in the majors, because prospect growth is not linear. uh, Logan Gilbert is going to figure out that slider. So that's where I am on it. It's an if, though. And you got to figure out which ifs you're willing to buy into. It could very well on, not show up till June. Not a guy you July. want. Not a guy you want on every team. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. I think. Uh, yeah. Four seam up. Um, slider on the corners. Increase the changeup. Man, he could be. He could be a beast. But yeah, there'll probably be a little growing pains in there. But I, I am yeah. in, but not entirely in. <laughs> I have. I drafted a lot of teams. He's on. Maybe. Maybe like a less than a quarter of them. <laughs> Right. Yeah, there's a I, I know no one's really familiar with the the high lock and the low lock uh, stuff that I have. It's just really percentage of in the zone stuff. It's easier for me than heat maps. There's YM lock, which is uh, essentially vertical middle. Right. So you have a high pitch, you have a low pitch, and then you have the vertical middle yeah. that you don't want at all. You want yes. like zero percent if you can. And a third of his pitches were there of his four seamer, which that's is where, that's where Jazz Chisholm thinks all pitches are, but they're yeah. really <laughs> yeah. And that's that was six ticks above the league league average on four seamers at twenty eight percent. Just so yeah, as exactly what you're saying, like you don't want that. And he had a hard percentage of ten percent, which is so bad. That's I don't normally see ten percent double digits on heart percentage. So yeah, Logan Gilbert has to fix that. Yes, absolutely. All right, so. Uh... Moving on as I derailed you, we had, uh, we have opportunity. Uh, number two was, uh, was how you your secondary pitches. Yeah. Secondary uh, stuff. Yeah. Secondary stuff. And, uh, how, how, what uh, is there a third here? I mean, there, the third is, um, understanding repeatability. Um, and that's a hard thing to grasp. Um, it does go into overall command. You can actually just watch and I mean, command and not control. Like you can see guys that are around the zone, but you can get an understanding of, were they trying to do that? And is that where the ideal pitch is? I uh, for you can also go into mechanically, and this goes into a little bit about my hesitation a little with Freddie Peralta, uh, of being very closed stance that is, um, throwing cross body a lot. Yeah, going all the so much can go wrong. 
Yeah, with Dante right. Willis, it's a ridiculous amount of mechanics. With yep. Carl, it's, it's too much ground to cover from point A to point B. And it's a uh, when you're throwing super cross body. That is when you step towards home. You make it so that your hips are not angled toward the plate at all. It's actually just closer to third base if you're righty or first base if you're lefty. It can be really hard to get the timing right. Some guys have mastered that. Madison Bumgarner mastered that. Uh, maybe Freddie Peralta has, but what we've seen over the years are like a 10% walk rate. And I call him Professor Chaos for this, right? Peralta was an exception last year. Um, but if you are watching a guy in spring training, you've never seen him before, and there's just a lot going on, it will speak to inconsistency and i often like to say i uh, a batter sorry a pitcher is either battling himself or the batter and you subconsciously watching the game will know this you will have anxiety about him or confidence about him and acknowledge that because watching zach wheeler allow five earned runs last year to the yankees felt abnormal because you knew that he was battling the batter he wasn't battling himself and he was a much better pitcher than that moment or you see guys that are wasting half of their pitches in the dirt, in the dirt. They eventually struck him out, but you don't feel so good about it. You don't feel like he was dominant or so. You know, it was a 3-2 slider that the guy just kind of swung through and that was it. But you're like, man, like he threw all these bad pitches to get there. Yet that's him battling himself. And when you see a pitcher that is battling the batter with excellent stuff and has that opportunity, that's when we truly get excited. And I think that's um, I've seen different opinions where they take that cross body movement and there's some people that are realistically looking at it as a problem and probably will be a long term. It's just difficult, especially as pitchers are become less athletic. Right. <laughs> uh, but then there's some people that look at it as, oh, it's it, it makes his stuff all so deceptive, which, yeah, it does. It just yeah, it's both sides. <laughs> Adam Adovino is a perfect example. Watch any any inning of Adam Adovino and it's full of stress the ultimate results are generally good but i mean how many pass balls wild pitches have you seen with like adam adovino like one is amazing and one is bad and that's that's the nature of it yeah yeah absolutely so uh yeah that brings up the uh, kind of towards the end of the episode here uh we went through a lot of uh, a lot of random pitchers. We went through the things you should look at from uh you know actually like doing the eye test watching what the pitcher is trying to do it's such a big thing so many people play fantasy baseball nowadays. There's some people that talk to me. They're like, I don't even watch the games. I just like fantasy baseball. And that just hurts me right here. Yeah, of course. I, I, I love baseball and I just, I love watching it, but I love the number side too. So in the beginning, if you want to review, I went through plenty of things. I think you should, you know, you can look for uh, as far as the, the metrics and things that, uh, you know, especially early in the season, you, you obviously want a sample size. Don't be looking at like the first start. Oh my God, look at his velocity and look at how much he used this. No, that doesn't change. Look at game logs from game to game. You'll be stunned at how much like a, a pitcher will change. Yeah. Change. Look at the pitch mix tab we have. You can actually just see how much he uses stuff, uh, the effectiveness of everything. It really helps getting a grasp of like the flow of not just the pitcher's performance, but their individual pitches and it changes everything. Uh, one thing that I think, at least in terms of the popular sites, people are used to using because you've guys made massive upgrades. And I really suggest everyone goes to PitcherList to check out what you've done. Like, uh, but unlike the fan graphs and the baseball savant, if someone is into even Brooks baseball, if you're like into breaking down pitching analysis, one thing that is really um, not quite easily accessible, at least to like more of the casual person trying to break this down, is uh, the plan versus righties and lefties. Like oh, you yeah. can do basic splits, but it's harder and harder to just actually find like 
and go into how a pitcher is attacking guys differently. Cause I mentioned earlier, Patrick Sandoval was trying to find a way to get lefties out more. And sometimes you look at a pitch mix and now realize he throws one of those pitches like 0% of the time to one side of the plate. Um, so I don't know if you have any like kind of advice or how you deal with that of breaking down pitchers, because it's such an important thing, especially nowadays when, you know, righty and lefty and everything uh, that, uh, you know, it's pitchers are completely different from one side of the plate to the other. And sometimes a turnaround uh, is hidden because you don't realize that the change may not come on a macro level. It's just this micro thing of just making sure they can get just a few extra lefties out. Everybody listening, just know that Matt is a great host because what he's letting me do is plug my own site right now. And what we do is uh, on our repertoire, we have splits and we're you're allowed to change it versus righty versus lefty where all the numbers we have from approach to stack ass numbers, batted a ball, their general overview of usage, all that stuff can be separated based on righty or lefty. And you can just jump through each pitch and just kind of see that. So you'll see like Zach Plesak, his extreme splits on his slider and his changeup, for example, and how he introduced the changeup to help, sorry, the curveball to help against lefties. We also do it for our game log too. Uh, It does take a little bit longer to load because that is an absurd amount of data. But we do have those splits and individually on pitches too, if you want, inside of that giant game log. So I definitely suggest if you want to learn more about these guys, you can dive as deep as you want on that stuff. It can be very illuminating to understand like, oh, he should throw this pitch more often or not. And I watched Jesus Lizardo yesterday. I realized, oh, man, he throws his curveball against lefties and he doesn't do it enough against righties. And that should change. And I really hope he does. Uh, but it's stuff like that that might illuminate why this trend is happening or what kind of decisions they're making and then maybe hey maybe Luzardo does throw the more against righties and has more success there's an opportunity for improvement and i did i lobbed that up for you to tee out of the park <laughs> we did that the uh we we opened the show with this and we'll end it with it context is everything there's so much data out there there's so much to learn about baseball nowadays there's between the scouting aspects the like you know the freaking lasers being shot all over the stadium with stats. it's it's a uh, it's it's a lot for especially newer people but it makes you fall in love with baseball even more. Some people say analytics ruin baseball. It doesn't. It gives you a whole new appreciation. You don't have to learn all of it. You don't have to master all of it. You don't have to care about half of it, but dig into some of this stuff. Um, learning how a pitcher attacks left and right. You'll enjoy watching them more. You can guess what they're going to do. You can try to see what they have in mind to watch some of Nick's videos. He breaks these down on YouTube where he'll go through and try to go through like, you know what the pitcher should be doing. It's, it's really fascinating stuff. So um, yeah, use all these things at your own disposal and try to find some, some good finds later in your draft. So you can, instead of just grabbing someone cause they're next in ADP, but you don't completely want to take Cal Quantrill for some reason. No, take somebody else. Don't take Cal Quantrill. I mean, maybe the first start, well, I, brought him, I brought him up as a guy to avoid and pick someone else instead. He's a spark though. He is a spark. If you're in a points league that has innings focused, then you need to have two relievers like uh tat wars. Maybe. He's a really good spark, and I was really upset I didn't get him. That's all. Fully <laughs> scenario. Uh, the uh, yeah, the, just uh, yeah, do your do a lot of your own work. It's really fun. And if you have any questions, uh, reach out. There's so many fun people in the fantasy baseball community. Oh, yeah. Nick, Nick's great. I have my DMs open all the time. Sometimes people are like embarrassed for some reason. They don't want to ask a Come question. Come on in. There are no stupid questions. Bring them on. Half the people don't know what we're talking about. Me and Nick don't know half the stuff we're looking at with no. all the new stuff coming out. We just are looking, you know, you're, you're tr- you put it together in the best way that makes sense. And then you talk to others who are smarter than you and you talk to other people who have experience in other areas. It, it's, 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 you know, yeah, dive in. Like you said, come on in. We want to talk to you. So the water's fine. <laughs> yeah, the water's fine. 
Thank you for listening to the Turn 2 Podcast. Spring training starting to ramp up. People are getting cut from teams. I mean, sorry for your loss. But uh, the real stars are starting to really play every day because it's short in spring training. So, yeah, we're going to get to see everyone ramp up. Max Scherzer's already out there throwing almost complete games <laughs> to start things off. Uh, and everyone else will get there a little closer. So, Nick, uh, we, we kind of been plugging your work kind of uh, as we went along. But remind everyone... Uh, you know, what you have going on over a pitcher list. I know you've added, uh, you kind of split things into fantasy and non-fantasy. You have a lot of cool things going over there. So let everyone know where they should go, where they should sign up, where they can find certain things, hit them up with all, with all the fun. Yeah. What you guys should be doing is going to, uh, the turn to podcast on Apple podcasts and rating review this, um, five stars, leave a wonderful review, all of that fun stuff. And, uh, enjoy the spring. Enjoy the season. We'll have you all covered at Pitcher. So come on by, introduce yourself. But yeah, I'm just I'm just excited to get going. You know, we've been uh, we didn't really know what we get. And sure, it's a week later, uh, but I, I'm so stoked. I'm just ready to talk about all these pitchers the entire year. All right. And definitely go over pitcher list. Sign up to their community. Uh, so many great people over there. Like I said, they poke around with all the fun stuff over there. The league averages is so good. So listen, thank you for listening to the turn two podcast. We'll be back next week. We'll be talking about spring training lineups with a lineup guru, Mike Curlin as he's in there with his microscope, trying to figure out why this guy batting first on a Tuesday is what, what is so important. And he's going to tell you why. And we're going to dig into it next week, everybody. So yeah, rate review five stars, the whole bit. I always forget to say it myself. Nick did it for me, but uh, yeah, We'll be back next week. See everybody. My, oh, my. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play fantasy. I know I turn two in a day, but the lace isn't hot in my veins. I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today and smash play. I'm prepared to listen. The x fipping wit got me looking way past the pitches. Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first, you can say I'm ready to go. <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third. Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two What it do? Win leagues Catch out Catch out